Is DPI going to be private equity's phrase of the year? How are sponsors approaching new buyouts and exits in today's macro environment? And how is the fundraising market shaping up in 2024? We'll be discussing all this and more with key takeaways from the IPAM conference in Cannes in today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast by Merger Market. Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast by Merger Market. My name is Harriet Matthews. I'm funds editor at Merger Market, and I'll be your host for today. Now, we've had time to readjust from the sunny Côte d'Azur, where this January's IPEM conference took place in Cannes, to not-so-sunny London. And in this episode, we're going to bring you some insights from that conference and talk more widely about what this temperature check of the private equity industry could mean for 2024. Joining me to discuss all of this is Rachel Lewis, Senior Private Equity Reporter at Merger Market. Rachel, welcome again to the podcast. Hi, Harriet, and hello to everyone listening at home. Let's start then with the macro picture and the general macro sentiment and dare I say kind of mood music at the conference around all of that. Rachel, what were you hearing from your conversations with attendees there? So the the general feeling really is is one of a quietly confident optimism because although interest rates remain high, they have now stabilized. So just recently on the 1st of February, the Bank of England voted to hold interest rates for the fourth consecutive meeting. And the day before that, the Federal Reserve voted to hold its interest rates at the level that they have been at since July. So um, that's good. It means that there's more confidence in the market. It means that lenders and sponsors are better able to model any transaction. And there's also further indications going forward that rates will come down this year, which is also good news for the upcoming wall of refinancings and also potential pricings on on any LBOs going forward. Definitely. I I think there was more of a sense of, of optimism, as you say, with that kind of potential stabilization. I'm aware that geopolitical risk did come up in quite a lot of my conversations. That kind of cautious optimism was always caveated by that. But still, from the perspective of, you know, a European private equity manager modeling a buyout, knowing what we're dealing with on the financing side or an LP conducting due diligence on a GP and how they made their returns, the picture was definitely more optimistic, which was, um, you know, a change from the kind of slightly more uncertain tone of kind of we're just you know getting on with things and seeing where they end up um, back in September's IPEM in, in Paris, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, someone said to me, okay, we're paying a lot, but at least we know what we're going to be paying is, is the long and short of it. Yeah, exactly. And obviously the theme of the conference was getting deals done. But I think we probably got a very strong sense that the main deals that GPs are looking to get done are exits. DPI was obviously a kind of word of the, well, I mean, it's probably going to be the word of the year. And it was certainly something that came up in, uh, again, uh, referencing back to the Paris event, um, Paris edition of IPEM in September 2023. At the same time, there was a survey done by Alex Partners in partnership with IPEM, uh, which was published, um, you know, I saw it in the conference brochure, um, where I think it was, you know, when it was available. And looking at that survey, 64% of the GPs who were surveyed for the conference said 2024 was probably or certainly not a good year to make exits. So there's that kind of contrast going on. Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking about the wording on this ever since you sent it to me earlier today. Um, because I agree, it's not a good time to make exits. 
because of the pricing pressures that we're seeing, there's a general sentiment that the bid-ask spread is coming down and that's veering towards lower prices. But that doesn't mean that the GPs aren't going to have to make exits because there's like a multitude of pressures from all different angles. So the first thing that's really changing is that LPs seem to finally have had enough with the meager distributions that they've been getting. So now there's a real pressure on their managers. So like you said, it's, it's going to be the year of DPI. And the other thing is the upcoming wall of maturities. People have been thinking about this for a while now. 2024, 2025 are always going to be big years. I was just looking at some data and analytics from our sister publication, Debtwire. And in Q3 alone, there are over 200 companies in Europe with maturities due. So those two things together means, yes, it's probably not a good year to make exits, but they're going to have to kind of come up with some realization and just to narrowing on the financing a little bit. So, um, yep, the, the financing is still available for defensive sectors with a long history of cash flow like healthcare. That won't surprise anyone. Um, but on this maturity front, so, you know, these are held by a, a mix of banks and lenders, but. You know, there's a line between making a full exit and coming up with some other type of realization. And the consensus seems to be that perhaps it might be better to play on a refinancing now if that maturity is due than do a brand new deal if the pricing is low and the business isn't quite ready to come to market yet. Yeah, I think that that debt point is is really important. And obviously, we covered um, a lot of auctions last year where that was that was a massive issue. So, yeah, definitely worth worth raising that. And, and recaps were just you know as one of the the liquidity means kind of talked about in the panels and the conversations I had with um, with market participants at the conference. And I think it's worth mentioning secondaries in this context as well. Obviously, we've got the, the GP-led secondary, which has been growing in popularity, um, really probably since, since COVID. I think a lot of people would, would trace it back to, to that when the exit market kind of froze there and people became aware of this as an exit type. It's very much established now. I think the only, you know, issue people are thinking about or one of the issues is obviously just the, the fact that even in this part of the market, because the kind of potential supply of GP-led secondaries deals could well outweigh the supply or you know the demand on the secondary investor side there's a kind of interesting dynamic there of capital being a bit more scarce so you know secondary investors will be picky and when deals are being syndicated i had a few conversations about syndication and that's something that people need to kind of you know bear in mind um when kind of you know there'll be the lead secondary investor but bringing other investors in you know could be could be a bit more a bit more challenging potentially yeah i think i remember and someone telling me that the the appetite, well, the number of GP-led secondaries in the market is three times higher than the appetite. Mm. So that's a lot of assets which won't have the, the backing and the support needed to go into a continuation fund. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think there's a lot of excitement about just the potential growth in the secondaries market, given the portion of GPs who have done a deal to date versus those who could potentially consider doing one or might need to do one for the liquidity reasons we've been talking about today. We've also got new entrants in the GP-led secondaries market, such as Astorg. It's been reported 
headquartered elsewhere that this, you know, pretty well-known um, France headquartered European manager has launched a dedicated GP-led secondaries team where Astorg itself will be underwriting deals. And that begs the question as to whether we could see other firms doing the same. And then lastly, I do want to mention the LP uh, secondary side as well, where LPs can potentially sell fund positions. Um, you know, lack of LP liquidity is still likely to to feed that. I think there there should be a kind of you know balancing between GP led and LP activity potentially this this year. Um, that's always important to secondaries investors. But at the same time, those selling VC fund stakes in particular, and this came up in a few of my conversations, are really going to have to reckon with significant discounts given how a lot of these funds are performing. Yeah, I find all of this so fascinating because I think it just shows for the past 12 months just how creative the private equity industry has become. So as we've been talking about, it's all about liquidity for LPs this year. So you mentioned um, secondaries, both GP-led and LP-led. Uh, we talked a little bit about refinancing already, exits if they can happen, but these are just part of, of the toolbox. We're also seeing um, minority stake sales. We had a big example last year when GHO sold a minority stake in Sterling Pharma to Partners Group. And also, um, one other thing that we're seeing is the merger of two portfolio companies. So uh, we had one quite recently, actually. Keensight Capital recently announced the merger of two of its portfolio companies, Biovian and 3P Biopharmaceuticals, which are both in the CDMO space. And this kind of merger, minority stake sales, it's all about releasing that uh, releasing that liquidity back to LPs. No, re- really interesting to see those examples coming through as well. Now, we haven't touched too much on fundraising. Obviously, we've mentioned DPI, but I think the consensus there, you know, bringing it back to one of the kind of core business areas of PE firms is, you know, Bearing in mind what we've just been saying and the importance of LP liquidity, it's going to be of little surprise to our listeners that I think the conversations we had at IPEM are indicating that it's expected to be another tough year. Looking at the allocation and fundraising survey that Alex Partners produced, which is separate from the the main IPEM survey, I believe, but 73% of GPs there said that 2024 was probably or certainly not a good year to be fundraising. At the same time, we have 63% of those surveyed saying they will fundraise in 2024. And I don't know what the overlap is between the 73 and the, the 63. But nevertheless, it's, you know, it's still going to be tough simply because the um simply because distributions have have been low. Um, it's still a kind of capital scarce environment. Um, but again, you know, we've been talking about creative solutions on liquidity, and I think that's one of the ways people are hoping to kind of get around some of the challenges they're facing. And it's interesting because I know, and I feel like it's deja vu, when it gets to the end of every year, it seems like, oh, we'll expect a lot of closes in Q1 because that's when the new LP distributions become available, the allocations. Um, but I think, and I was just looking, we've we've only seen one in Europe anyway, you know, mega cap fundraise, which is Sinvern, which closed at 14.5 USD. We've seen a few in the mid-market space. Anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know how much I love the mid-market. But we, you know, we still haven't seen so many large cap funds closed, which were waiting on these allocations. And we're now a month into the year. So yes, they might come 
throughout the rest of the quarter. But it's it's not a great sign, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think there are fewer large cap funds potentially due to come to market in this year, which will offer hope to to some of the GPs hoping to kind of get those allocations. Um, and we, you know, we've seen Apex Partners close its impact fund this quarter. We've seen uh, Bomark Capital raise um, nine hundred million pounds for its latest flagship. Again, you know, mid market and no no mean feat there doing that in in this environment. But I think it will be interesting to see whether LPs are ultimately convinced to, you know, to keep committing based on their due diligence and based on how they think their GPs are going to be making returns in in this particular market. I know, Rachel, you spoke to a few people about um, kind of the returns, expectations, adjustments that some some people are expecting to potentially take place this year. Yeah, I'm finding this question of returns fascinating at the moment because everyone, depending on where you sit in the market, is giving you a different answer. With LPs pushing to make exits and prices coming down, there has to be some movement on the side of LPs to accept lower lower return expectations. What's not clear is quite how much that's falling. So one person told me that the large cap has perhaps come down to as low as 12 to 13% IRR, which seems quite low to me. The mid-market perhaps coming down to 15 to 17%, depending on the manager. But the funny thing is, is that you ask all of these GPs about this and none of them say that they are adjusting their returns expectations. I guess it depends what measure you use. IRR is going to be more difficult considering that um, hold periods are lengthening anyway. So money multiple might be more relevant. You know, I think the benchmark there is is still largely at least times two. But, you know, LPs are going to have to take a hit somewhere. And that also, you know, there's a whole question of returns across different vintages at the moment. So vintages which are being divested right now, I think there's an expectation expectation that those won't be great for similar reasons that those being invested right now are still expected to be quite good um and to kind of i know we've talked a lot about exits but i also want to to kind of just round us out on deployment as well because there's also seems to be a consensus that funds need to go back to deploying at a much steadier rate we saw a lot of people deploy very hard and very fast at the top of the market in 2021 and 2022 and i think that's going to come back that's going to come back to bite a lot of people um and those return those vintages will probably have quite bad returns but overall i think there's a reflection from gps and lps that people need to go back to deploying their fund at a rate of you know 20 to 30% a year rather than 40 to 50% a year and coming back to market for a new fund every two or three years definitely and and if that kind of fundraising pace, which has been quite abnormal and deployment pace that's also been quite abnormal, stabilizes, then that offers a bit of optimism for for fundraising as well, as does, I think, the um, prevalence of, you know, retail capital, um, capital from high net worth individuals and, and private wealth, which a lot of GPs are looking to tap into. According to that Alex Partner survey, 59% of GPs are expecting to raise funds from um, high net worth individuals and private wealth in 2024. It was 45% in 2023. So that's creeping up. People are making efforts to hire as well in, in those areas, of course, as I think we've we've mentioned on the podcast as well previously. 
But I think ultimately there's going to be a bit of a kind of, you know, supply and demand question still. Again, from this same survey, it looks like there's quite strong LP appetite for secondaries and turnarounds um, strategies where demand's actually outpacing the supply of GPs, current and future funds that they're planning. But in buyouts, it is fairly even with GP supply just topping LP demand. So that has to sort itself out somehow, not to end on on too negative a note, but, you know, is there enough capital to go around? I think it's something a lot of people are going to be reckoning with this year. Well, whatever happens, I'm sure we'll be around to have some thoughts and chat on it. Yeah, we definitely will. And um, thank you, Rachel, for joining me. It's been great to to chat to you about IPEM and, and what's to come next year. Thank you very much, Harriet. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, then please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in the next episode.